When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited and thrilled uh, that you would join us. Uh, thanks, men, all of you here in the room as well. This is a, a Bible study that has been going on. Uh, we're approaching our 10th year of this. Uh, and if you would like to go and catch archives, maybe today you found this for the first time. Uh, there's a lot of people that talked to a guy this week uh, from California said, I, I found the Bible study. Uh, glad you're here. And if you'd like to catch up on our current series, which is the book of Revelation, uh, or any series that we've done in the past, just go to themanchurch.com. You see that on the screen behind me if you're watching, if you're listening. Uh, it's themanchurch.com because uh, this has been part of a men's discipleship strategy uh, that uh, that we worked on in the local church for about seven years. We launched it in 2020, uh, and you can find all the details about our discipleship strategy uh, at themanchurch.com. We have a 40-week curriculum uh, for men's small group. Uh, we have individual resources for individuals to, uh, to grow in their faith through devotionals and books by other authors that we trust. We send out speakers uh, to come and speak at... Uh, uh, at men's events. Uh, that's the high challenge part of our strategy. The high equipping uh, is the discipleship that goes along with all the resources I just mentioned. You can find the strategy. You can find anything. You can contact us by going to themanchurch.com. And if you're looking for archives of this particular Bible study, click on the media button at themanchurch.com. It'll drop down and tell you two options. You can listen to them, the audio archives, or you can watch the YouTube archives, and you can go back through the ones you may have missed in the Revelation. Today we'll be finishing chapter 11, or you can go pick up some of the past studies we've done on various books of the Bible or other resources, okay? So another thing I want to make you aware of, Father's Day is approaching. Now, men and women can watch this, listen to this, perfectly fine, but this all at the heart, as you can probably tell by now, is, is a men's Bible study. Father's Day is coming up, and if you would like to get a signed copy uh, from me to Dad uh, of the brand-new individual resource, which is called Transformed, uh, it is uh, counterculture, our subtitle, Embracing uh, the Death of Self. There's counterculture for you. Uh, and the power of God. Uh, this is a biblical concept uh, that, believe it or not, we actually die to ourselves, uh, and uh, and and we 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 then become uh, what only Christ can make us. And then He has the power to completely transform us, regenerate us. You may have heard the term "born again." That's what all this is about. And we've got 31 verses that take on this transform topic. Uh, and I do a little commentary uh, each uh, each week as you go through 31 days of that. There's a signed copy available for your dad. If you want to get it, uh, just go to themanchurch.com. You're going to click on Store. Then it's going to ask you, what's going on? Are you a, a ministry leader? Are you a small group leader? Are you just an individual? You hit individual, and then you'll see all the different resources pop up. And at the top of that page, you're going to see click here for a signed copy for Father's Day. So click on that. Uh, and then a signed copy will either come to you to give to Dad or to go straight to Dad, however you want to do it. So just follow the steps after that. So that's at themanchurch.com. All right, and you can also find there where our men are speaking, uh, churches that are doing our strategy. And if, if they're doing a man church service, then they're doing the strategy too, and that's a good way for you to plug in. I'll be headed to Huntsville, Alabama, speaking at uh, the Gridiron Men's Conference. That's coming up uh, Father's Day weekend on that Friday night, half a day on Saturday. I'll be with Mike Pence and David Jeremiah and Robert Jeffress and and Phil Waldrop um, and I think there uh, Charles Billingsley is doing worship again uh, and I look forward to being part of that group coming to Huntsville, Alabama. Go to GridironMen.com if you want to get tickets for yourself or your group. But I will tell you this: it's close to selling out. So so make a move on that, okay? Uh, and you can find that also by going to uh, TheManChurch.com under upcoming events. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer. We're going to finish. The Revelation chapter 11 today, we're going to start in verse 15, okay, if you want to turn there now. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to unpack your word. I'm just so thankful, uh, Lord, that, uh, that, that you uh, have, a, have a desire to, to speak to us directly, 
the redemption you've offered us, that as Jesus said, because of him, we can actually call you Abba Father, like, like that's just calling you you know, something that is very casual between children and their earthly dads, and, and now we can call you Abba as well because of Christ who makes us co-heirs with him, your son. Uh, and, and you also have, have said, I will give you my inspired word about who I am, and in this particular case, things that are to come. Uh, we thank you for that, Lord, and help us to discern it properly under the guidance and the clarity of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so let's turn. We're not going to do a lot today, but it's going to be plenty. Uh, we're only going to do verses 15 through 19. I want to end chapter 11, and then I want to come back next Wednesday, and let's start purely in 12. I was afraid if we tried to get into 12 today, uh, and these things really don't go together, which is why I didn't want to do it that way either, and I'll explain that in a minute. Because when I explain that, we have to be very careful because I don't want to confuse you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to handle this with kid gloves and, and with much prayer and much research. This is clearly the hardest Bible study I've ever taken on because of its depth, um, and, and there's so many things that you can mess up. And, and it's why a lot of times people go, let's do Revelation. Like, eh, nah. And it's why I have been putting it off for years. Uh, but I think in, in God's perfect uh, sovereignty, I was, it, it was put off for the proper time uh, until he was getting me ready to be able to handle walking through it. And, of course, I have many resources of men that we all trust that, that are helping me teach this to you. So um, here's what's going to happen in Revelation 11, 15 through 19. Uh, the sounding of the seventh trumpet trumpet's going to mark a significant milestone in the book of the Revelation. It's going to set in motion the final events. Okay, now this is going to go on for a while, but we are setting the final events leading up to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his earthly millennial kingdom. So, so the seventh trumpet sets in motion the final consummation of God's redemptive plan for this present universe. Okay, and I just sat down with one of our guys that's in the class uh, at, at church, and also is in this Wednesday Bible study with us, and and I, and I loved it. God was using this to, and I hope this has been the case. He said, "I've really enjoyed this walk through the Revelation because I've always been afraid of it. It's always terrified me. It's always been uncomfortable. It's always been scary, and and I realized that walking through this, the good news of the Revelation." And, and we're going to see some of that today. And uh, now for the unredeemed, it's not good news. Uh, but, but for the redeemed, uh, it, is, it is really, really good news. And, and, and all these things that we're having to deal with, as, and I'll say this at the end again, as, 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 I, as we've said so many times when Sherry and I have sat down to talk to people, when you've sat down to talk to people that are going through horrible, horrible things that are part of a fallen creation, uh, and Sherry was, was always so good at saying this, and she's taught me to say it, is look to people and say, this is not how it's always going to be. So whatever, I mean, I was just looking you know, at Michael Catt today. You know, Michael Catt, we love the pastor uh, that uh, was many years at Sherwood in Georgia, and they were part of putting out the movie Facing the Giants and, and um, uh, all those great movies that, uh, that they put out, Fireproof and, and – um, and, and, you know, we just got the word today, you know, he's been battling cancer, that he's decided that he's not going to take any more treatments. Uh, and so, you know, it's getting down to the end of his life now, and, and he's going for quality of life uh, over quantity. Um, and you think to yourself, see, in this world, Michael Catt gets cancer. And you think, why in the world would Michael Catt, of all people, have cancer? Some of you may know him, some of you don't, but he's a wonderful man of God. And, uh, and it's because we're in a fallen creation. And, uh, and, because of that, we're all going to die an earthly death, or we're going to be here when Christ returns, uh, one or the other. Uh, and, um, and so when you think about that, and Michael Catt knows this, he realizes that, you know, I may be struggling with this now, but this is not the way it's always going to be but because of Christ. Um, and so the seventh trumpet will set in motion the final uh, redemptive plan for this present universe. Now, it, it is, um, it's not the last trumpet. Now, this is where, stay with me. Here's where we're going to go. This is not the same trumpet that Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, 
Um, and this is another one of those things. Again, I know that not all of you share this view, and that's perfectly fine. And I certainly am not acting like I know this for sure because of my limited uh, abilities. Um, but uh, and we're we're talking about a really big God. But um, one of the things that makes those of us that are pre-trib pre-tribulation for the rapture of the church, a lot of the things we've already mentioned in the Revelation, but there's other things like what Paul talks about in in, uh, Thessalonians and in Corinthians, that what Paul's talking about that signals Jesus coming for the church, there's there's comments like twinkling of an eye. This is something happening almost instantaneous. Well, if the church grinded its way through the tribulation, that's not instant. It's actually a long, grueling process uh, to get through the to the end of it, and 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 Paul is telling us about a trumpet that signals that the church, that Jesus has come for His church, and and we use terms like twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and will be changed in an instant. First Thessalonians four sixteen also talks about this. This seventh trumpet that we're talking about here covers an extended period of time. Um, it does not parallel the trumpet. I mean, it does parallel the trumpet that Joel's talking about. Now, this is the trumpet that Joel is talking about uh, in uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm uh, on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord. And there's your key. The day of the Lord is coming. Surely... It is near a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now, that is the trumpet that we're talking about that's about to sound. So let's look at uh, chapter 11, and let's look at, at verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So sounds the trumpet. You know, it, it means that um, there's judgment associated with it. It, it. It's it's really not described what's going to happen, and this is where I want you to stay with me. I'm about to take a turn here, so if you're looking around or you're thinking about something, stay with me because you're going to miss this turn. You ever, you ever had that happen before? Oh, we missed our turn. We missed our turn. Uh, you were supposed to turn back there. You can tell I went to Atlanta and back with my wife over the weekend. And, um, you know, I don't know how I get anywhere those days that she's not in the car with me. I don't even know how I get there. But anyway, so um, so let, let, let's be clear here, okay? What's going to happen here, what the seventh trumpet is now starting, stay with me, we're not going to see what, what starts rolling out till chapter 15. And you're like, well, Rick, we're ending chapter 11. What happens 12 through 14? Well, that, that's, a, that's a great question. 12 through 14, we're going to go back. Okay, John, John's actually going back, and we've seen the tribulation from the view of Christ. And what we're going to see 12 through 14 is the tribulation through Satan. Okay, this is not happening chronological. This is an important turn. So, because I remember when I was studying, I'm like, "All right, we just sounded the trumpet, and now what are we? What are we talking about? We're not even talking about what's happening after the trumpet." But then it picks up in 15. What's happening after the trumpet? So we're going to sound the trumpet today, and we're going to see what happens when that happens. Then we're going to actually go look for for 12 through 14 at things that ha- actually happened from Satan's point of view during the tribulation. Anybody confused? Uh, so just understand that. It's almost like, have you ever noticed now, can anybody do a movie now that just goes chronologically through the story? Every movie you see now, every new TV show, everybody's into these these time hops. Could we stop like going back in time? And I get so confused on who's who, and people, now we're about to have to put dates on the screen. Can we not just start a story and go from the beginning all the way to the end? Well, if I was watching this, I would say, where's John going with this? We're going back, and we're going back to the the beginning of the tribulation again in 12 through 14, but through a different look, we're going to see what Satan's doing during all that. Okay. So we're going to sound the trumpet. Then we're going to talk for a few chapters about other things. And then we'll get back to what's happening after the trumpet. Everybody with me. Okay. I'm trying to simplify that as best I can. I know that's kind of mind boggling, but that is what's about to happen. But 
So what we're going to have now is um, um, remember that, that chapters 4 through 11 focused on Christ taking back what is rightfully his by means of the, the seals and the trumpet judgments. Chapter 12 through 14 will focus on the ultimate human usurper, the final Antichrist, um, who, uh, whose career spans over that same time period, uh, and that means the seals and the trumpet judgments, but now we're going to see it from that point of view. Does that make sense? Okay. So the scene as the seventh trumpet sounds will unfold in four stages. Okay. That means right now we're doing that. Now we're to where we are. Four things are going to happen. So verses 15 through 17, you could almost, if you're making notes, put it, we're going to praise God for sovereignty. Okay. That's what we're about to see. Heaven again is going to erupt in praise that it's on. We're, we're finally getting down to the end of all this. Okay. So let, let's, let's look at that. And then you're also going to see, even though the effects on the earth are delayed, just like the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet brings an immediate response in heaven. The judgments are delayed, but the response in heaven of the celebration is immediate. Everybody with me? Okay. So, so I mean, there's going to be loud voices, as we just heard. That's, you know what that represents? Unrestrained joy. So what what does what does this mean in Greek? What are we talking about when John says there were loud voices in heaven? So why are they why are they so loud? What is all this unrestrained joy about? Back to my conversation with our brother before we started the Bible study. You and I should share in this unrestrained joy. And you know what they're celebrating? The unrestrained power of Satan is about to be forever broken and Christ's reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is on. This is finally over. Because right now, Satan is is just waging war. Is he still restrained by God? Yes. We see that in the book of Job very clearly. However, Dealing with him and dealing with all who are with him, this is now coming to a close. This kingdom that we've all been waiting on, that we've all heard about throughout the Bible, that Jesus is going to be Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and he's going to be our benevolent king. He's going to have all power, all authority, and everything's going to be the way it's supposed to be. This unrestrained joy said, we just heard the seventh trumpet. This is, it's like you looking at a, at a, at a, at a contest or you're looking at misery, and uh, you know, like I, I, I know I upset some of the guys in here that are glad that I'm taking doing my health better, but but it is not a joy for me. I tell you, when I have unrestrained joy, when it's over, okay. And so and so when 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 this when when I'm sitting there with this trainer and he says we're going to do this right here and we're going to go wide open for 60 seconds, the unrestrained joy is when I hear five, four, three, two, stop. You know what I mean? And so. What's happening here is that this – just think how long this has been going on. How many times they've been petitioning God? How much, how much longer? And the seventh trumpet is like you hear in that buzzer that whatever was awful. You ever seen those people come out after cancer treatments and they ring that bell? No more chemo. No, that, that, this is what we're talking about. And so everybody is saying it's finally on. So the question – I love this, and I think this this was MacArthur who said this. The question of who is in charge and who's going to rule is over. And the answer is Jesus. The long rebellion against God the Father and the Lord Jesus is about to end. Now, I want you to notice something here, okay? Notice what's said in 15, right there in the, in the B part. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If you have your Bible or you're making notes, I want you to notice that kingdom is singular. It is not plural. That's big because right now it's plural. There's kingdoms. There's all kinds of kingdoms. Well, not not anymore. Not, not, not when that seventh trumpet sounds. Uh, everybody is going under one king, Jesus, everybody. Now, I know the first thought with all these 
Americans in this room and those of you that may be part of the free world everywhere, you're, you're thinking, you keep thinking about all these tyrannical governments everywhere. All the, You're thinking about China. You're thinking about Russia. Let, let me give you a heads up. You better think about this too. If you think that the people that run this country are going to exist anymore and your love of all this political, it's over. This None of this means anything. Jesus Christ is going to wipe out your your political party just like he's wiping out all the tyrannical leaders all over the world. You, you can take your elephant and your donkey and you can throw it in the trash. It's over. And that none of that is going to have an ounce of power. None. Everybody is going to bow and everybody is going to confess that we have one king, and it is Jesus Christ. And if you didn't want that king, then you're going to die. If you rejected that authority, you're going to die. Because everybody, as I've said a thousand times, that's hyperbole, I've said a lot of times, it doesn't just mean that he's going to wipe out the supernatural opposition to his throne. He's going to wipe out the human opposition to his throne as well. Okay? So if you think that, that that God is enamored with the United States of America and there can't be heaven without it, you're a fool. It's going in the wastebasket with all the other nations. There's going to be one, one kingdom, and it's going to be his. And if you have placed anything else more important to you than his, I'd, I'd reevaluate that. You can put it in a place, but don't put it in his place. You know, when you're down here doing the best we can do, it has some value, but do not put it in his place. And do and stop trying to get these earthly kingdoms and these earthly governments to give to you what only God can. How many more times they got to railroad you and not do what they said they were going to do? And how many more times they got to take you money? And how many more times they got to press on you and take something away from you that you stop putting your trust in them? The corruption and governments all over this world are awful, and they can't be trusted. It's one of the reasons why I moved away being as publicly political, because my 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 standing in the church and my standing as a follower of Christ, I got sick and tired of getting involved in all these political movements, even though there's certainly choices better than others. I'm not saying that, and I certainly still vote. But me having my arm around some politician, I'll never do that again. Because if you do, there's going to be something spiritually you're going to have to explain because they're going to burn you, okay? Because their whole life is compromised for gain. And compromising for earthly gain really doesn't line up real well with followers of Jesus. And, uh, and so, uh, so anyway, so I actually had to make a decision about this a minute ago. Somebody was asking me to come speak at some luncheon, and I said, you know what? I'm just not called to that. Doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't mean that you have to feel the way I do. But I, if I don't, if I'm not at work and I'm not with my family, I'm not going to spend time on that. I'm going to be somewhere talking about Jesus. So, so God initiated human governments. Why? Well, if you've ever looked at Romans 13, I hate to take the fun out of it for you. He basically established the earthly governments because we don't know how to act. He tried, he tried to let them govern themselves. He tried to make me your king. We didn't like him not being our king. We didn't like that. We didn't want him to be king. Then we decided we'd just govern ourselves, and that turned into the point that he killed everybody but eight people. Okay? So earthly governments were established mainly to keep order, for law and order, mainly. And what we think is that they were established to bless us and to give us stuff and to take care of us and do things that really only God can do. And, and, and I've heard people take elevate government to some kind of lofty spiritual level. There ain't nothing lofty about it. There's a lot of mouth mouthing that goes on. But we're supposed to worship God, and we're supposed to be on the authority of God, and we'll abide by the earthly government as he told us to, unless the earthly government goes against God, then we turn on the government. Well, we'll follow every, everything you tell us to do unless you tell us to do something that God told us not to do. And then we go to God and probably get put in jail and 
could be could be killed. That's what usually happens. And remember this part about government too, as followers of Jesus. You remember this. Rick told me, okay, look back through time. I even heard Paul Washer mention this the other day, and he's 100% right. I know some of us think that if we are martyred or we're punished for our devotion to the kingdom that we'll be heroes and we'll be applauded by the world. Look at their devotion to the faith. If you go back, they were all presented as enemies of the state. They were presented as as dangerous people. And ultimately, the government points to the followers of Jesus and says, you're an enemy of the state. And they tell the whole world that you should have been killed because you were bad for society, not that you were to be admired. You won't get the well done from the world. You'll you'll get it from Jesus. But the world, even if you're martyred for your faith, is going to think you're an awful person. They even made allegations against them that they were dangerous to whatever. They'll, they'll try to ruin your reputation. They'll never go, we killed this person or we put this person in jail because they're to be applauded for their devotion to their faith. They won't be that. So don't expect to be celebrated by the world for your devotion to Jesus. And eventually the government will deem you, if you stay devoted and say, this is the only king I serve, eventually the government will vilify you for doing that, and you'll be considered an enemy of the state. Most of Jesus' followers who were martyred, they were martyred because they were called enemies of the state. I take a note of that. So uh, so anyway, uh, so Romans 13 clearly identifies the role of government in God's eyes. And do you remember Jesus, how, how flippantly he, he took on the tax issue? I mean, wouldn't that have been a great time to make a big political statement? You know what he said? Looks like their name's on this. Give that to them, but give to God what's God's. And we hear that all the time, and all we ever hear is the part about give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We never hear the more important point, and you give to God what is God's. And what is that? Our lives. Our worship. Our devotion. Take care of the government. Give them what they ask you for. But you better not put your devotion to them. Just give them the money. But you point to God for your life and your devotion. And your worship, and we usually leave that part out. So, uh, so, so when we look at this, so what we have to start doing is we have to remember that we submit totally to God, and we must, you know, every single government at some point will stop submitting to God. They will also eventually, and it's happening even where you all live now. They will eventually stop acknowledging God altogether. And then when that happens, hear me loud and clear. You know, our military is having a hard time recruiting right now because there's a lot of people out there that know if our government has turned from acknowledging God and our military has become a place of all these sinful, depraved experiments, you basically become devoted to Satan. If you if you kick God out and say we don't we don't acknowledge God anymore, and if that's what is done, then what happens the opposite of that must also be true. And that means that you now essentially become part of Satan's kingdom. You're not part of God's kingdom anymore. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't still have his church and have his remnant and you know they'll never acknowledge it. The only reason why this place has any kind of is hanging on at all is because of the salt of the church is still here. As I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? But that's never going to be acknowledged. It's going to be acknowledged that the the government shouldn't acknowledge God because it hurts other people. I mean, you you just you just saw the LA Dodgers. They pick winners and losers. And we, by the way, in the government size, we lose. Okay, they'll never cater to us. So they had a group that wanted to be part of the LGBTQ celebration with the Dodgers. This group was so out there that even the Dodgers said they couldn't come. The Sisters of Perpetual Deviance. Okay, and they mock the church, especially the Catholic Church, with all sorts of debauchery. So the Dodgers said, well, y'all can't be part of it because that's over the line. Well, they pitched a fit. And the Dodgers have now catered to them. So when it comes down to offending the church or offending 
the sisters of perpetual deviance, the Dodger says, we'll offend the church. So I want you to think about that. that that's, that's already going on. And, uh, and so what you find, though, even you say, well, it's not religion, because does anybody in this room, this is that thing where right now Speedy would say, Rick, you might want to think about this, but Adler usually lets me run. So, uh, so Speedy's not here. We'll go. Um, do y'all believe that if the nation of Islam had protested the Dodgers and said they're blaspheming Muhammad, they're bla- blaspheming Allah, do you think the Dodgers would have stayed with it? <coughs> so see, it's not don't, don't it's not religion. It's not that. They're afraid of certain religions, and they'll coddle certain religions. No, the problem they have with you is Jesus. And the problem they have with me is Jesus. When they pick winners or losers, the world will always pick Satan's kingdom over God's kingdom. And if you don't believe that, you must not have heard what I just said. It just happened. Remember remember the hockey player? I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not putting the LGBT uniform on. Was he applauded for his devotion to Jesus? No. The players who put the jersey on, they were applauded for their devotion to the LGBTQ. But the hockey player that said, I'm devoted to Jesus, vilified. How dare, how mean, how hateful. He wasn't applauded for his devotion, not by the world. He was applauded by Jesus, but not by the world. So you you just know that you're living your life for an audience of one, and you have to ask yourself a hard question. Is that good enough for me? The day's coming. That's what this celebration is about, so we don't have to do this anymore. We're finally getting what we knew was promised if we would just overcome, if we would just endure to the end and not compromise him. And so that's what this celebration is all about. Satan will not go quietly, and you're going to see that, but he will go. Somebody write that down. Satan will not go quietly, but he will go. He does not win. And that's the beautiful thing about the Revelation. This is really the theme of the entire Revelation. The theme is this. Write this down in big letters. The triumph of God over Satan as an evil, as evil will be purged from the world, and Jesus becomes the sole, holy, ruler of perfection. Does that give anybody here hopes? Anybody, anybody excited about that? Do you now understand unrestrained joy? World has become, have you seen that in here? What, what he says here? The kingdom of the world has become. In Greek, this word here describes future events. And, and in the Greek, this phrase that is used, it's only used for things that are so certain. In Greek, if you use the phrase that John's got, but we have it here in English, is, is that the kingdom of the world has become. You see, it's has become. That means, right, hey, count on it. It, it. This is a future event, even though he's talking about it when he sees it, but it's so certain it's spoken as if it has already happened. Do you, do you believe that these things are so certain? Do you believe they're so certain that you consider them to have already happened? I remember the first time Sherry said this about our son that has gone into heaven before us. She said, I believe in the power of God, and, and I'm so certain about that reunion, it's as if I'm already there. Because she worried about that. She said, I know he's in perfection, but he's not with his mama, but I, ha- I realize that through God, it is likely that I'm already there. Because God doesn't ask her to time. So uh, these future events, um, as far as chronological, are so certain the text treats it like it's already done. I love that. Zechariah. Zechariah is a big player in the Revelation. He wrote in chapter 14, verse 9, in the day of the Lord... And the Lord will be king over all the earth. 
It's that day the Lord will become the only one and his name the only one. If you have your Bible real quick, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Do you remember what Gabriel said? And see, that's what that's why this elation in heaven is taking place because what Luke said to Mary about that baby is is about to completely be fulfilled. Look what look, look what Gabriel said in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And now that's about to happen. So let's look what happens next. Verse 16. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. So here, here is the, the, these 24 elders. Remember, they represent the glorified, raptured church. They've been waiting on this moment. And listen to what they say. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. We give you thanks. Do you do that? Do y'all do that? I'm asking myself this question. This is something I've really, really worked on. Think about the very first thing. They've been, they've been waiting on this moment. That trumpet sounds unrestrained joy, and now we go to the elders. What's the first thing you want to say? We give you thanks. We're grateful. Are you grateful? You know, sometimes you may say, well, I don't, I don't know much about praying. You can say thank you, can't you? You don't have to have deep theology to say thank you with a sincere heart of gratitude. It's the first thing they say. Thank you. Why do we say thank you? We were all going to hell. We were going to be the ones that were standing there with Satan and gets destroyed because we were in desperate need of redemption. And I, I don't you think, honestly, I, mean, I can't imagine I won't begin to be able to give you a true, because I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I, I, do, I don't find this hard to believe because it happened to me one time in, in, in a funny way. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a comical story. It's when I first uh, joined a, a, a big. I'd never been to a big church before, and y'all might remember this story. So the first time I was ever there on Easter, do you remember this story? I, I didn't know what everybody does. I mean, I, the biggest church I'd ever been to had three hundred on on Easter Sunday. Now we're talking about thousands, and I was trying to go up the staircase in Shades Mountain was the biggest church I'd ever been in, and we dropped the kids on the first floor. And I'm working my way up the steps to meet Sherry and the teenagers in the balcony because we, you know, we didn't we didn't get their own time. And I'm and I was 305 pounds and I was struggling and I couldn't breathe. And so I stepped out on the floor, which to go out to the balcony, and Jesus was standing there. I mean, there he was. And I thought to myself, I didn't make it. I didn't make it. And I, and honestly, I remember the first thing that I said. I said, Hey, I just want to thank you for what you did. And the guy says, I'm Mike from the choir. I'm playing Jesus today. And I was like, hey, man, how about a heads up? Don't have Jesus walking around in here. Nobody, I thought I died in the stairwell. You know what I mean? And, but I remember, even though it wasn't really Jesus, somebody who I thought was Jesus, my first thought was thank you. And, and, and I believe, don't you think, the first time that we see him, don't you think you just want to say thank you? Well, that's, uh, that's what they do. We give thanks to you, Lord Almighty. And look, and even though God, you think God didn't know who he is, but they still want to tell him. You know, I mean, God knows who he is, but there's something in this unrestrained joy that you have these 24 elders representing the church, and they, they want to say this, what? We give you thanks. You, who are, who were, you are eternal. And I love this. And you have taken your great power, and you have begun to reign. He knows who he is, but the elders cannot, they can't not say it. Are you in awe of God? Are you in awe of him? 
You know, when we see in Acts, when the church starts and, and all these people are being added, you know that one of the things it says in Acts chapter 2, you know what's one of the things it says? They were in continuous awe of God. Have we lost the awe of God, even in the church? We're piddling around in there about things that don't matter. Do you walk into that when worship starts and say, I'm in awe of you? Have you lost the awe of God? I hope not. If you've lost awe of God, it means you're not spending enough time with him. You're not in his word. You're not learning about him. You're not, you don't, because I'm going to tell you what, if you truly begin to seek him, what did he say? You'll find me. And when you find him, you'll be in awe of him, I promise you. And so these elders are saying, you've taken your great power. So you're eternal. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of, of, of thanksgiving. You're worthy of gratitude. Look, look at what the psalmist said in, in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. All attempts to pull this off by world leaders have all failed. Every human has tried this. And you know what the psalmist, psalmist said? You're the only one who ever pulls it off. And you know what the elders are saying to him? You're the only one that can pull this off. You realize how pathetic every attempt to rule the world has been by goofy human beings and even by the adversary Satan. Everybody, Satan thinks he's got it. But the Lord has always been the only one who could do it. And you know what else we see here? Gosh, I love this. You know what else we see here? Every single prophet nailed it. They all called this day. You know why? Because God told them. Can you imagine Jeremiah just wanting to go in front of those idiots and say, I tried to tell you. Would nobody listen? Jeremiah lamented about this, and nobody would listen. So it's going to now set the stage for a violent expression of rage. Look at this. Verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. I love this. So what's the reaction of the world? Rage. Complete rage. The grinding of teeth. How dare you say that we can't rule? How dare you say that we must be destroyed because we never repented? How dare you? We rage against you. They're going to rage right until their end. And the elders say, we're all celebrating, but the nations, they're still going to rage against you. The nations, why are they raging? This is important because it's happening right now. This is important. Why do you think they rage against the reign of God and they have no desire for it? Because they've lost fear of him. The Bible talks about this over and over and over. Don't lose fear of God. Don't lose all of God. We just talked about this. And you know what the nations have said? We're not afraid of you. We don't fear you. We don't respect you. We don't, we're not in awe of you. We can't believe that we're not going to get to rule. We still think we should. You're taking our power away. How dare you? They don't say thank you for now ruling perfectly. They're not saying that at all. They don't say thank you for offering us redemption. They, they can't believe that they've been asked to repent. And you know what they're saying? Because think about it. Jesus said, if you loved me, you would obey my commandments. And I had to come to this conclusion in my own life, and it was incredibly convicting, that anything in my life that I still had that was, that was sin, that I knew was sin, that I would not give up and I would not repent of and I kept on doing, I was continuing to do it for no other reason. You can call it whatever you want to do. I'm going through a rough patch. I have a hard time. I've got this. I've got that. You don't understand. At the end of it all, according to Scripture, those things I still cling to, I clung to them because I still loved them more than I loved Jesus. 
And that's what the nations say back to God. We love our sin more than you. We want to run our own lives. Y'all know that's back to the garden, right? What did Satan convince Adam Adam and Eve of? You can't trust God to decide what's right and wrong. Decide that for yourself. What do you see throughout Scripture before God's wrath come? And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Anybody looked outside? We do, we're going to do whatever we want to do, right? Everybody has the freedom to be anything they want except one thing, a follower of Jesus. If you want to have fun with people who, who get into these debates with you, and I've got to do it. I believe people should be able to live their life any way they want to. I said, does that include me? I want to be a follower of Jesus. So do I have the freedom to do that? Now, when, if I'm a follower of Jesus, it means I'm going to have to oppose things that are in conflict with him, and that might be you. Do I get to, be, do, I get to do what I want to do? And if they were honest, you know what they'd say? I didn't really think about that. I'd say no. Because you're allowed to do anything you want to except tell me I'm wrong. But I didn't tell you wrong. The God that I serve told you were wrong. I'm just with him. So you see now that the nations will remain defiant. It's not a momentary emotional fit. They're not pitching a tantrum. Don't see that. It's a settled, burning resentment against God. They truly resent him, and they truly hate him. This has been going on. You know, when you get turned over to your sin, your heart hardens. We've seen all these things through Scripture. But they will eventually, pitifully, assemble their armies. How pathetic will this be to fight God? You'll see this at Armageddon. And all this divine judgment, they'll still have no desire to repent of sin, angry resentment, hostility against heaven. And when we get to chapter 16, this will be at a fever pitch. And how pathetic, how pathetic will it be that they'll walk out there like they're going to defeat God? Have you ever seen this, though, in something not quite as dramatic? I've seen it. I, I, I saw this firsthand. I met with a guy one time. I was asked to meet with him. His marriage was falling apart. He was being unfaithful to his wife. And this is what's bad. I finally made him see it the way he should see it, that he wasn't doing these things to his wife. He wasn't doing these things to his children. He was doing them to God. I mean, that's certainly true that that was happening, but that was his biggest problem is he was doing this to God. Every time you lie with that woman, you're blaspheming God. And he got emotional, cried. I thought, man, we're making, we're making, we're making ground. I come home and report to Sherry. I said, I think the guy truly is repentant. I said, he wept, he cried, he wailed. I said, I think this thing's turning around. You know what happened? He left his family and went with that woman. You know what happened? He knew he was wrong, but he still loved that more than God. And you say, and you could say, and, and sometimes because we don't understand the point, you'll go, he loved that more than his wife and children. Yeah, and that is bad. But what's real bad, even worse, which is why he was no good to that wife and children, was he loved that sin more than he loved God? He'd just go back like an old dog and lay with her again, defiantly before God, after weeping that he knew what I said was true. So this is not an outlandish scene. I've seen it, and I bet you've seen it, in individual people we encounter all the time. And I've seen it even at one point in my own life. So there'll be three plans for judgment. He says it'll be time for the dead to be judged. So, you know, the, the, the wrath does come on all who cling to a false and dangerous hope. 
that somehow they'll they 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 can still somehow pull this off. And you know, Isaiah talks about this, and we may not have time for all of it, but look over to Isaiah twenty four. This scene that these elders are talking about, God's wrath coming down uh, and what's going to happen in 24. Look at 17 through 24 in 24 of Isaiah. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror, that's the trumpet, shall fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are open and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and it will not rise again. On the day of the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on earth, that's Satan and his demons and all who oppose him. They will gather together as prisoners in a pit, they will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before, look what we just heard, his elders. He's standing before the 24 elders. As if Isaiah, and if you want to read some more, you can. Write this down, Isaiah 26, 20 and 21. And Isaiah 30, 27 and 33 also talk about these events, if you want to go read those later. The dead are to be judged, future judgments on those who reject Christ who are now dead, but also a time of what? Of reward. Rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, bond servants. What, what, what did Paul tell us after he was redeemed? I am doulos. I was once a slave to sin, Romans chapter 6, but now I'm doulos. I'm a bondservant to Jesus. They'll be rewarded throughout time, small and great. Saints, that's just a common phrase for those who are redeemed. Judgment will destroy those who destroy the earth. Look at that. And destroying the destroyers of the earth. Now, right now, the green movement wants to jump all over this. See there? That's not what he's talking about. He certainly, we are to be good stewards of the earth. Don't misunderstand me, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is they're destroying God's plan with the pollution of sin. That's why the earth failed because of sin. And, he, and, and what, what the elders are saying, you're going to reward those who fear your name. You're going to reward your bondservants. You're going to reward your saints, both small and great. It doesn't matter. If you are a devout follower of Jesus and you think your little corner of the world doesn't matter, you will hear well done. You don't have to be some known name in the church. You just need to be devout. And wherever you're serving him and you're devout, it matters. We're, we're the ones that come up with all this. You know, I'm telling you, some of you who talked to somebody who took care of you over lunch, who came to know Christ, you will hear well done about that. Did nobody put up a billboard about that? Did nobody report it to a board somewhere? But you know what you did? You just did what Jesus told you to do. And then, of course, those that had great platforms, they'll be rewarded as well. Uh, but the rewards won't be different as far as obedience. Now, as far as uh, being obedient and not being obedient, now that will be different. But he says, for those that have destroyed the earth with the pollution of sin, this represents all the unbelievers, all the blasphemers. This represents Babylon, uh, Antichrist, Satan, all their followers. The future destruction will far exceed what we see now due to what? Told you a minute ago. Why? Because the church is no longer here. So you're thinking, look how bad things are now. Well, yeah, but there's still... A remnant. When when God's church is gone, the destruction that now comes on the earth will be unprecedented. You have not seen anything like it. Don't pretend that we have. We were given stewardship and dominion over the earth, Genesis 1.28, but we fell into sin, and throughout history we have continually corrupted the earth. God will respond by completely destroying it and creating a new one. Okay, you got that? This thing's gone. All these people telling you that, we're the, the, that we can save the earth, we cannot. 
We're supposed to be good stewards. Don't misunderstand me. Pollution is not a good thing. Uh, we should take care of of our area. But this thing that somehow electric cars going to keep God from destroying this earth, that's just not going to happen. And it is true that it's going to burn. Peter tells us that. Revelation 21.1, we'll talk about this new earth. Isaiah 65.17 pr- predicted the new earth. Also in 65.22. And then what I just told you in 2 Peter 3. 12 through 13, he tells us that the earth will be no more. And I'll mention that again when we close. Verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. The promise for the redeemed to have unbroken fellowship with God forever is now revealed. The ark symbolizes that the covenant God has promised is now available in its fullness. In the middle of uh, the seventh trumpet and rage and fury by the nations, God throws open the holy of holies and draws the redeemed into his presence. Almost showing, look at all this going on out here. Let me open up the holy of holies. Remember when Jesus said it is finished, what they say happened? That curtain that celebrated the Holy of Holies, that only the certain priests could go in, it's gone. Everybody who's redeemed has access to God. The ark symbolizes God's communion with us because it represents the sacrificial system that it has all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What do you say? I did not come to replace the law. I came to fulfill it. It was still required. And Jesus met the requirement. All the flashing of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and earthquake, great hailstorm, these have always been associated with God's majesty, his glory, his heavenly throne, but also associated with judgment. Heaven is the source of vengeance on all unbelievers, as well as the saving covenant for the redeemed. Remember, equal pillars. Remember, and Paul talks about this, when we look to the cross, the redeem, celebrate redemption if you repent. But if you reject the cross, guess what the cross is for you? Judgment. There's no other way to be redeemed. So you see this happening right now in this scene. Here's the Ark of the Covenant. Here's flashing of lightning. Here's sounds of thunder. Here's other sounds that John doesn't even tell us what they are. Here's an earthquake. Here's a hailstorm. That's all this working together. Judgment for the unredeemed and unrestrained joy and redemption for those who have been redeemed. The covenant. The covenant represents judgment for those who reject him. It represents redemption for those who repent. Praise his holy name. So what is the trumpet's message? It's really simple. Jesus Christ is a sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. He will one day take the rule of the earth away from the usurper Satan and earth's petty human rulers. History is moving as you and I sit here toward his return eternal blessings for the redeemed, eternal judgment to those who reject him. Now let's quote our brother Peter in 2 Peter. I love this line, and it's going to close us today. Based on all these things we just heard, this is what Peter says when he talks about it in chapter 3 of 2 Peter. What sort of people are you and I to be? You would think we would be holy in our conduct and godliness would be our goal. You would think that based on all these things we know. You'd think that we'd be holy and godly people since we know. And then I'll leave you what my wife said. As bad as it is, brothers and sisters who may be watching, thanks to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, It won't always be this way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the hope that just oozes through it. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room, anybody right now in this room or listening or watching anywhere in the world, 
if they are hearing what Peter said, look, based on, because some of you came to this Bible study, you didn't know this, you know now. And Peter says, you know, since you know this, you'd think we'd be the sort of people that would desire to be holy and godly so that we can celebrate with unrestrained joy at his return, not dread it because of our destruction. Maybe today's the day you need to say, I repent. I turn, I don't have to wait on the tribulation. I don't have to wait on me on some deathbed. I don't have, I want to do it right now. I want to say, I repent. And I turn from my sin. I don't know that God's better than my sin because I don't know God. But as best I know how, I repent and I leave my own authority. And Lord Jesus, I submit to your authority and I ask that you change me, transform me. Scripture says if you're sincere in your heart that Jesus hears you and he acknowledges your redemption, your desire for it, and he doesn't withhold it from you. If you need to find out or talk about what to do next, you can reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com. Lord Jesus, bless these decisions today. To you be the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.